Welcome to The Lamb and the Scroll, where we unpack scripture using the rich tradition of the church. I'm your host, John Breyer, and in this episode, we'll be talking about Revelation, the Magisterium, and baseball umpires. Welcome to this episode of The Lamb and the Scroll. Today, we're going to be talking about Revelation and how God reveals himself to us. Throughout the episode, I'll be referencing a few different sources, all of which will be linked in the description of the show. And so basically, we're going to start with a very simple principle, which is that God is wholly other. He is unlike you and I in many ways. He is all-powerful, all-loving, all-knowing. God is being itself, not a being, like you and I. And theology is literally the study of God. And so if we're going to study something that is wholly other, wholly unlike us, that other thing, in this case God, must reveal himself in some way, shape, or form to us. And so revelation is necessary for us to be able to even do theology, to do this study of God. And so in general, when we use this word revelation, we're referring to God's communication, at least in a theological sense of revelation. And generally speaking, there are two types of revelation. One, divine revelation, and two, natural revelation. We'll start with the latter. Natural revelation essentially refers to how we can learn about God through nature, through our experiences, through our own human reflection. These insights we can glean into who God is and how God works, how God thinks, by simply observing what's going on in the world. It's that moment when you climb a mountain and you look out and you realize this is just incredible beauty. That's God's handiwork. Those are these moments where we encounter God through what we might call natural revelation. Now, the second type of revelation is called divine revelation. In short, essentially, divine revelation is God's definitive self-communication. Now, there are two ways that this divine revelation is transmitted. That's through scripture and tradition. This is sometimes referred to as the deposit of faith. Now, scripture and tradition are not sources of divine truth. That's God alone. But it's through scripture and tradition that we can come to know this truth that God has revealed. Again, there's that word of revealing God's truth. Scripture and tradition are not important for their own sake, but they're simply important because they bring us to this understanding of who God is and what he's trying to reveal to us through this definitive self-communication. Now, many have envisioned the Catholic Church as a three-legged stool, held up by scripture and tradition, but then interpreted by the magisterium. And so what is the magisterium, this third leg of this stool? Here I'll, I'll cite the catechism directly. And I'm reading lines 85, 86, and 87. The task of giving an authentic interpretation of the word of God, whether in its written form or in the form of tradition, has been entrusted to the living teaching office of the church alone. Its authority in this matter is exercised in the name of Jesus Christ. This means that the task of interpretation has been entrusted to the bishops in communion with the successor of Peter, the Bishop of Rome. Yet this magisterium is not superior to the word of God, but is its servant. It teaches only what has been handed on to it. At the divine command and with the help of the Holy Spirit, it listens to this devotedly, guards it with dedication, and expounds it faithfully. All that it proposes for belief as being divinely revealed, is drawn from this single deposit of faith. 
mindful of Christ's words to his apostles, he who hears you hears me, the faithful receive with docility the teachings and directives that their pastors give them in different forms. And so essentially the church guards this truth that's been revealed through scripture and tradition. And it's the magisterium, this teaching office of the church that can help us to understand what God is revealing about himself to us. Now, naturally, you might be asking, do we really need the magisterium? And so to respond to this question, I'm actually going to turn to Bishop Barron, who responds directly to this question in a recent episode that he released of his own podcast. And so I'll let him address this question, and you'll hear him to talk about this analogy that he'll make between the magisterium and umpires in the sport of baseball. Anyone that's serious about baseball likes umpires because without an umpire, the game will devolve very quickly into chaos, right? Because there's going to be uh, close calls. That was a ball. No, that was a strike. He's safe. No, he was out. And if you don't have an umpire to adjudicate that, talk to anyone that's ever coached little kids, right? It'll devolve within a minute into bickering and the game is going to be over. Thank God for umpires because umpires are a living voice on the field who apply the rules and principles of baseball to the particular situation and make a call. So the first thing an umpire has to know are the structuring elements of baseball, right? How do you play baseball? What is baseball? What are the limits to it? I always find this interesting. Uh, when I was a kid, I watched a lot of baseball and the umpires would gather uh, before right, as the game was beginning and they would discuss the ground rules in a particular stadium, you know, because stadiums are all a little bit different. And, you know that like Wrigley Field, where I watched baseball, had a, a basket that went a, around the, the uh, fence. And, and if the ball went in the basket, it was a home run, you know? So the umpire has to know the general rules of baseball. He's got to know the particulars of this, of this stadium. And then his job is, when there's a close call, to decide. He's safe. He's out. That was a home run. Will people bicker with him? Yeah, they do it all the time. They kick dirt on him. Okay. But at the end of the day, everyone knows Man, the umpire's got the final word. The magisterium's like that. So the church has a structure. It's not a, it's not a freewheeling debating society. It's, it has a structure. We hold to certain things, the creed and their doctrines, and we have certain practices that are essential to our life. Are there conflicts and arguments? Yeah, like all the time, like every minute. <laughs> read church history, read present day <laughs> church affairs. We fight all the time, right? Well, when that happens, who decides? Well, at the local level, you, maybe the parish priest would have to intervene. But let's say they still keep fighting. Well, then the local bishop probably has to intervene. Let's say they still keep fighting. Well, then maybe a, a metropolitan bishop has to pronounce something. They still keep fighting. Well, at the end of the day, it has to go to the Pope and to the formal teaching authority of the church in Rome, which makes a call. Yeah, that's right, that's wrong. Without that, the church would devolve like a bad baseball game into endless bickering. So I would say that to your friend, that the magisterium plays an umpiring role, which is essential to the ongoing flow of the church's life. 